Hey, everybody. Y'all doing all right? Uh, tired from Thanksgiving and family and traveling and all those things? Excellent. That's the kind of uh, captive audience I want. So, yeah. Uh, well, like Joel said, uh, this is the first Sunday in Advent. Um, and uh, I want to say a couple of things about the season of Advent, kind of the aim of Advent and what we're, what we're striving for, what we're seeking after during this time as a church family. And then we're going to look together at Psalm 111. Um, so Advent started uh, around the 4th century when there was this effort to kind of, for the church to find this rhythm, this rhythm of, of how we would walk through the scriptures, how we walk through the life of Jesus, how we would walk through God and his people, and how, how we would better understand and, and walk through the truth of the scriptures. And ultimately, the aim of worshiping God. And so, this actually marks the beginning of the church calendar. The church year begins the first week of Advent. So, Happy New Year. Uh, go ahead and make some, some uh, New Year's resolutions that you, you will surely break before the actual New Year, and then you can get like a really good start on them then. But, but we're going to enter into this season together as a church and try and, and slow ourselves down, um, to try and, and walk in a season of anticipation, a season of waiting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he was uh, in prison, he wrote a, a letter to his fiancée. I think they had, they had been engaged for about two years at this point. And he was in prison in Nazi Germany, and, and he, he wrote this letter. And, and in it, he, he talks about how he, he makes comparisons to, to their waiting, waiting for him to be released from prison, waiting to get married, and this waiting for God during the season of Advent. And he says this, Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. Waiting is an art. It, it, it takes intentionality. We, we have to be urged and, and, and encouraged to wait. It's not something that we really like to take on our own. And at Advent, we, we wait in two different manners. One, we, we wait with those uh, who heard the prophecies of the coming Jesus. And we stand today waiting for the second Advent, the second coming of Christ. We stand in both of these places. And Advent, um, some people, like when you hear that and when you hear like you, you wait until Christmas and Christmas Eve, that's when you, you, uh, all the culmination comes and, and then you celebrate, celebrate Christmas. And, and that can seem like we're, we're, we're wanting you to, to do less somehow, um, that it's inhibiting, that it's, it's, you're abstaining from celebrating the birth of Christ until, until Christmas Day. And really, that's, that's not the case. With Advent, it's, it's not about abstaining from something, it's about adding something. Rarely in the Christian faith do we actually get to the heart of worshiping God just by merely abstaining from anything, contrary to maybe what some of you think about the Christian faith. We get closer to the heart of actually worshiping God when we make much of Him, not just less of other things. Although, 
For some of us, it will require less of some things. Now, uh, when it comes to the church calendar, when it comes to Advent, um, there's a really good quote by John Britton. He said this, We need to keep everything in view all the time. The past, the present, and the future. See, it's not, we're, we're not neglecting and, and pretending as though Jesus hasn't been born yet. Uh, we're not going to pretend like Easter will not come when we are celebrating Advent. No, we, we keep in full view all that God has done, is doing, and will do. But at Advent, we slow down and we study. We ponder certain things about God. Now, the the four different candles, the four different weeks of Advent have traditionally had different um, emphases. uh, Hope, peace, joy, love. And this week, we emphasize the hope. The hope prophesied throughout the Old Testament and then fulfilled in the New. And Psalm 111 uh, teaches us, it, it declares for us why we have this hope. And I, I believe it is this uh, declared throughout all ten verses of this psalm. That we have hope because of the work of God. So that's, that's the premise that we're going to go off of tonight. As we study, as we ponder, as we think on these things. And there's so much vying for our attention. And this is why we have to be so deliberate Right? Because we have lots of things competing for our attention and our affections. One of the worst ones lately has been just defending Christmas things. I mean, like that, I saw a list of places I shouldn't shop. Because they say happy holidays. Like that, that's taking up like part of my brain now. And, and I can't get that back. I can't unsee that list as, as much as I'd like to. Um, I mean, th- these things, these foolish things. And so we, we have this war on Christmas. And we have, those, we, have, we have us against the secular world. And then we have us against one another as we plan more and more things. And we build up expectations for one another. Family members, friends throughout the Christmas season. And then we have ourselves probably the most vicious enemy in the war on Christmas, ourselves, where we just waste time, and not wasting time with God, but wasting time on other things. And so there's this call, this invitation of Advent, to ponder, to study God. And in this psalm, Psalm 111, we, we will study some particular things about our God. And so, if you would, um, turn with me to Psalm 111. Uh, yeah. Beginning with verse 1, it begins with, begins with the word hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise Yahweh. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. 
and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The gracious Lord, he is merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, stir up our hearts to worship you. And Spirit, teach us in this time. Lead us to truth, not error. Turn our attention and our affections to you. May you be glorified in this time. And, and Lord, may we, may we gain from this um, a desire to know you, to worship you, to obey you. We dedicate this time. Lord, we, we listen for you because we long to hear from you. Or we don't just come in here for, for busy work. Just Christian activity. Or we come to meet with you. And we ask, Lord, we beg that you would meet us here. Because left to our own, our own devices, our own opinions, our own will, our own desire, we have nothing. But when we have you, we have all that we are waiting for. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in this psalm, uh, you can kind of see some different movements that are happening. In verses 1 through 4, you have this declaration that I will worship. I will worship the Lord for He is great. I will worship corporately. I will worship with others. With my whole heart, everything that I am, all of my being, I will worship the Lord. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. And then it moves on, and in 5 through 8, the psalmist breaks down some, some really particular ways in which the Lord has been great in His work. You see, as the people of Israel were, were worshiping, uh, utilizing this psalm, they are remembering particular things. He gives food. We see that in verse 5. He gives land, verse 6. And He gives His law, verse 7. See, what He's walking through are these covenant fulfillments of, of, of God giving food as they were rescued out of Egypt. As the, as the people of Israel were, were rescued out and they were in the wilderness, God provided food, sustenance. He sustained them in the wilderness. They say, He is great. He gave us food when we had nothing. He sustained us. And then, and then He gave us the promised land. He gave us land. He gave us a place to dwell. 
And He gave us His law, His precepts. He gave gave us a way that we would walk with Him, a way that we would obey Him, a way that we would worship Him and know Him. And so the people, they, they would sing this remembering this great work of God, bringing them out of slavery, sending redemption to them. And we see that summarized in verse 9. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. Five times in the psalm we see the word great. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, we, we see the word work. And it's described as great and wondrous and beautiful and majestic and faithful and just. This work of God, five different times as it goes through in describing the great work of God. And then, in the end, verse 10, there's the result. The result of all of these things. The result of God's work and God's doing. His covenant keeping. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Obedience is a result. Walking with God and adoring Him, fearing Him, reverent worship follows. And so as this psalm declares the great work of God, the wondrous work of God, the beautiful work of God, the majestic work of God, they're remembering what God has done. In full view of the past, the way in which the people of Israel, they sang this song praising the Lord. They, they remembered His work of bringing them out of Egypt, giving them food and land and the law. We also see how this psalm points us today to Jesus. The words in verse 9 are echoed um, almost exactly. Um, the father of John the Baptist, uh, when he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies about the coming birth Of Jesus, he says this. It's recorded in Luke chapter 1, verse 67 and 68. He says this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has come and redeemed his people. He has come. He has come because, as we see in verse 9 of the psalm tonight, he was sent The great work of God studied and delighted in is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. The great work of God, the great hope, is God himself. And the work that's being described here of the sent redemption, which in the first context is about the redemption out of Egypt, is fulfilled in the redemption that we find in Christ. So this is the work. The Father sent His Son, the Word of God, through which all things were created and for whom all things exist. He sent Him into the world to dwell among man, full of grace and truth. Not only did He condescend and dwell with man, but He was sent for the will of the Father, which was the redemption of many. This redemption, purchased through the Son's death and resurrection, not only reconciled sons and daughters to the Father, but defeated the enemy of sin and death and ushered in the beginnings of the eternal kingdom of God. 
whereby citizens have been sealed by the indwelling of the Spirit of God, who points to the riches of the Son and grows life and faith and grace in the hearts of the children of God. Your life in Jesus, your faith, which is not your own work, but the work of God, testifies that all the works of God are wondrous and majestic and worthy of praise forever. The work of God in your transformation, it testifies to an unbelieving world that God is faithful to his promises and that his name is holy and deserving of reverence. Ultimately, the work of God, this revelation of God, is the display of his glory, which redeems and restores and renews, and reconciles, and resurrects, and recreates. Great are the works of the Lord. Holy and awesome is his name. Are you still stunned by this? Does it still grip you that God became flesh and dwelt among us? A couple of years ago, I went to Ireland um, for the first time, and, uh, and, and I kind of I started on the, the East Coast, and I made my way to the West Coast. And on the West Coast, I got to see something called the Cliffs of Moher. Um, I know some of you have been there. It's, it's quite a sight to behold. I took a lot of pictures, and I also communicated um, with a guy that did not speak English, and he took a couple of pictures of me standing uh, right next to the, to the cliffs where it said, don't stand here because you will probably die. It said that in multiple languages. Um, and, and I stood there and, he, and, he, and they, we took all these photos and I came back and I remember showing people and, uh, and I'd show them a couple of photos of the landscape and they, well, that's, that's pretty. That grass is really green. Uh, and, and then uh, I'd grown a beard uh, because I was by myself and no one could tell me uh, how, how terrible it looked. Um, they told me when I got back. Uh, but but I, I stood there and so then they would comment, comment on the beard, or they would comment on uh, the clothes that I had on, but, but, but they couldn't see how amazing the cliffs were. And, and I would get so frustrated as they, as they looked through the... I, just, I couldn't... I couldn't ex- Express. I couldn't describe just how amazing it was. And I'd say, you see that, that tiny rock next to the huge rock? The tiny one's the size of like four school buses. And I'd be like, oh, that, that's a big rock. <laughs> and, and, and really, uh, unless, unless they went there, unless they took the trains and then the bus and then, and then walked out to it and saw it for themselves, it, it, it couldn't be expressed. You know, it's that that Plato's cave phenomenon. Like, unless you, unless you see it, you're not going to get it. And so when we have trivial discussions over, well, Walgreens is really not saying Merry Christmas this year, it makes us seem like this Christmas thing doesn't matter that much. Because we just want trees and presents and people to greet us the right way. But when we are stunned that God became flesh, 
that he entered into our darkness like we sang about earlier. He entered into our darkness and he brought us hope. That he brought light. See, if we are not stunned by this, let me urge you to study the work of God. In verse 2, where, where it said, that we, His works are studied by all who delight in them. We, we, can, we can strike that and reverse it, and we, and we can say that those who delight in Him are those who study His work. Now that doesn't mean go to seminary, or sign up for more Bible studies, or, or buy a bunch of books. It might. It very well might. But go to His Word. Go to him in prayer. Ask the Spirit of God who leads us to all truth. Ask him to teach you, to ponder the work of God. And it might not look like everybody else. You know, it it might not be something that that can just be manufactured and sold in a Christian bookstore. It, it, It might not look like that. But if you go to him, if you go to his word and, and, and you go to him in prayer, taking in the fullness of his work, the past, the present, the future, seeing his greatness and his mercy, being filled with awe and reverence, then it will be real worship and deep praise. This is the work of God. He sent redemption. He sent his son. It's the incarnation, which means the enfleshing of God. He sent redemption to his people. A theologian that I've started reading more and more of his works, his name's T.F. Torrance, and, and he, says, he says this, and bear with me as I read it, and, and I'll, I'll try and take it slowly. I know being read to, it's like you, you could read this yourself, and, and so, but, but just bear with me as we, we make it through just this brief paragraph. And, and hear it, and, and take, it, take it to yourself, okay? Hear these words being declared to you. God loves you so utterly and completely that he has given himself for you in Jesus Christ, his beloved son, and has thereby pledged his very being as God for your salvation. In Jesus Christ, God has actualized his unconditional love for you in your human nature in such a once-for-all way that he cannot go back upon it without undoing the incarnation and the cross and thereby denying himself. Jesus Christ died for you precisely because you are sinful and utterly unworthy of him and has thereby already made you his own before and apart your ever believing in him. He has bound you to himself by his love in a way that he will never let you go. Therefore, repent. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. In the flesh of Christ... This work of the incarnation, God manifests his covenant promise, his covenant love. He becomes it and therefore pledges in the flesh and blood of Jesus, the blood and the veins, the breath and the lungs, the physical embodiment of God in flesh. He pledges his fulfillment of his love. 
And as Torrance puts it, he cannot go back on this. He cannot go back on this without undoing his own incarnation, his own flesh. This promise of his love is so true and real that it's as true and real as your bone, your flesh, your blood. He declared, just like in verse 5, he remembers his covenant forever. And he will forever display his faithfulness. His faithfulness to his own word is declared in that Jesus is flesh and bone and blood. The sending of redemption is the fulfillment of the promises of God. And there are two important aspects, I think, that that are pointed out um, in in this psalm. In in verse 5, the work of God is remembered forever. At Advent, we worship the Lord because He remembers His covenant. We have hope because He remembers His covenant. We look back at that. We look back to the manger, God in the manger. And it's a helpful reminder as we look back how He called a people to Himself, how He took on flesh and dwelt among men and women. He walked on the earth He created, and He ransomed His people through the cross and through the resurrection. And we remember how he ascended and promised to return. We remember that just like God remembers his covenant forever. And the second thing, at Advent, uh, we remember that the work of God is commanded forever. Verse 9. He commands his covenant promise into the future. This is the hope that we join in, looking towards the return of Christ, the second advent. We can have confidence. We can have hope because he commands his covenant. Now, this same word for commands is used again in in Psalm 33 in verse 9 concerning creation. Verse 9 reads like, like this. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. It's used to describe how God commanded creation into being, and just as surely as creation came into existence, tangible, unmistakable reality, so is His covenant forever. A hope that is not temporary. A covenant that is not temporary, but eternal. And just as he remembers and he commands, as we look into the future, as he remembers and commands his covenant forever, look at verse 10, the, uh, the last statement there in verse 10. His praise will endure forever. You see, this is the outcome of God remembering his covenant forever. God commanding his covenant forever is his forever praise. And Advent is an invitation to ponder, to study the work of God. And the outcome of that, the aim of Advent is worship. There are lots of songs and, and, and Christmas movies and things like that, that that bring up the feeling of Christmas. You know, the feeling of Christmas. Either the, the presence of that feeling of Christmas or the absence 
of that feeling of Christmas. And, and, and I would say this, I would suggest or encourage this, that the feeling of Christmas should feel like praise. And unless it feels like praise, unless it feels like worship, it's probably worshiping something else other than the coming King. And no doubt some of you long for the way that Christmas felt in the past. Perhaps that's because you've lost a family member or lost a friend, and you miss how things were. This past uh, week when I went up to Kentucky and, and I was at my grandmother's house, the first time since my grandfather passed away this past spring, I realized it was quieter. And for a bit, I didn't know why. You see, sometimes we can long for that feeling of how things used to be. And maybe some of you long for how things used to be because you've lost family members or friends, and not, not as a result of death, but perhaps as a result of sin or divorce. And family isn't the same. And you long for how things were. And I would encourage this. Long for how things will be. That doesn't mean that we ignore the past. Absolutely not. We long in full view of the past and the present and the future. And we long for how things will be. We need to keep everything in view, as Britain says. Past, present, and future. God's truth and God's mercy. Old prophecy and ultimate fulfillment. Christ's birth and the cross. And we look at the first advent and the second Britain encourages this. He says, he cautions in these words, when we see things too much in isolation, it's easy to forget where we are. And then we can lose track of whether or not we're headed in the right direction. So we worship. We ponder in full view. And Advent invites us to hold this full view and to study the details of the great work of God. The Incarnation the atonement, the resurrection, the ascension, the promise of a return. And when we take time and we consider the wondrous, the great, the beautiful, the splendor of the work of God, we will hope and we will worship truly and deeply. And may that be where he leads us this Advent season together. Let's pray. O Spirit, teach us to wait. Teach us what it means to long for you. And as we wait, teach us what it means to ponder your great work. The great work in Christ Oh God, that you came, you came to us, Emmanuel, God with us, you came to us. You came to the earth that you created. Lord, you, you breathed the air that you created. And Lord, you suffered at the hands of men that you created out of the dust. 
And Lord, when, when Isaiah cried out, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. You did. And Lord, in this second advent, we join with Isaiah and we say, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Lord, as we look at sin in the world, sin in ourselves, as we look at the brokenness in the world and brokenness in ourselves, we look to your work, your work of redemption. Lord, teach us and help us to be teachable. We would long for you and that we would take heart knowing that you satisfy because you remember your covenant. You command your covenant and you are due praise forever. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Jesus who came and is coming again. Amen.